Good morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 8 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 5 a.m. super, ooper, duper, early morning wake-up call out west. Thanks for everyone tuning in, watching, listening. We really appreciate it. It is Friday. It is already November. I cannot believe this year is almost over. November the 1st. Hope you had a great Halloween and uh, got lots of candy and enjoyed your night. Um, It's always a fun time of year. And now we turn our full attention into the holiday season as uh, Halloween has now kind of become the kickoff to... uh, to the to the holiday festivities, um, I have friends of mine who 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 use that as the official demarcation of Christmas. So that now they are officially in the Christmas spirit. November the first, they kick it all off. They take a break for a day for Thanksgiving, and then get right back into the Christmas spirit. Um, it's a bit much for me, but um, you know, nevertheless, uh, it is November, and um, I just can't believe how much this year has flown by. Um, coming up in just a few minutes, uh, we are going to be joined by Mike Waitola. Uh, Waitala of the uh, he's the executive editor of SoccerAmerica.com, and uh, look forward to, to having a chat with him about a variety of, of topics and uh, and subjects. Uh, including uh, some of the youth national team setups, so on and so forth. So uh, stay tuned for that. That's coming up in just a few minutes. I wanted to open today's show talking about leadership. Um, leadership is so important. You can you can have the best of intentions. You can ha- you can have a, an organization filled with great people. But to get where you want to go, to achieve great success, you need leadership. You need people that can not only have great ideas, but they can build great teams and they can execute on those ideas. Leadership is essential for U.S. soccer to move forward. It is essential for U.S. soccer to achieve its potential. Our country is vast. It is large. It is it is ginormous. We have we have incredible resources. We also have some challenges. And to get the most out of of our potential, to become the best version of what we can be, we need leadership. Now this leadership does not need to be micromanaging every detail. We don't need leadership that wants to meddle in every decision. We don't need leadership that requires a gatekeeper mentality or system to get anything done. But we do need leadership. We need bold leadership. We need bold vision, fresh ideas, big ideas, ideas in the same caliber of the idea of going to the moon. We need fresh leadership, new leadership that leads us forward. We are not achieving our potential. We have dysfunction all over our federation. And most of this dysfunction is a direct result of the dysfunctional structure and system of the federation. Our board of directors at U.S. Soccer 
is not like most of the boards of directors of the organizations and the organizational members that make up U.S. soccer. Only two positions are elected, president and vice president. They typically serve four-year terms. And the, the National Council are the ones who get to elect those two positions. But the rest of the board, those are picked by the president and only affirmed by the National Council. Instead of giving the members more input in guiding our federation, in, in getting good leaders into good positions, we have limited that access and we have created a system of haves and have nots we have a political class that operates the u.s soccer federation and that political class gets to determine everything what you get what you don't get and very little of that has anything to do with how good you are so we need new leadership And with that leadership, we need new structures. We need to improve our governance. We need to change the way that we select our leaders. We need to change the way that we empower people or allow people to get access for empowerment. We should be trying to educate our families. And that requires good leaders. Leaders that realize that our next great players are two years old, three years old, four years old. And we need to be right alongside those families, helping them learn the game at an early age. We need leadership that opens opportunity and access to communities all over this country that says that socioeconomic status is no longer a barrier for participation that we don't care what your native tongue or your, the color of your skin may be. We want you to be involved in American soccer. We need leadership that is inclusive, not exclusive. Leadership that is willing to leave no stone unturned as we search for great players. We need leadership that inspires investors to invest that makes it possible for investors to grow their investments. We need leaders that say to every city and every state in this country that you matter, that we value you, we value your families, and we want everyone on the same page, working to make American soccer reach its potential. We need leaders who, who are bold enough and brave enough to realize that micromanaging and, and centralizing control isn't necessarily going to be the best solution because the context of soccer in New York is not the same as Florida or Southern California or Utah. We need leaders who are comfortable with the fact that we can have laboratories of experiment all over this country when it comes to the game of soccer. We need new leadership. We need fresh leadership. We need bold leadership that is willing to listen. I have said this before and I will say it again. 
I believe American soccer can be and should be the greatest soccer country on earth. We've got to get out of our own way to do it. We've got to get out of our own way to get there. But if we embrace leadership, we can open doors that we never dreamed of opening. We can do things that has never, they've never been possible before. We can get people involved in all levels of our, of our sport that will change the, traje- the trajectory of our sport. We need to welcome these ideas. We need to be inclusive. We need to ask people to get involved, not stay away. And if we do that, I think we can see American soccer explode in a way far beyond anyone's wildest imaginations. A lot of people look at where we've come from and where we are today and they, they celebrate the progress. And although some progress has been made, I look at the missed opportunities and the unmet expectations because we could be so much more than we are. We could be so much better than we are and we could do so much greater than we do. We can get there with leadership. I have no doubt about it. Our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand. If you have not checked out Ductic Brand, you need to check them out. They are found at D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. That is D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And when you go there, use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. You'll be glad you did. I promise you. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday, November the 1st. We are pleased to be joined by Mike Waitola. He is the executive editor editor of SoccerAmerica.com. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. I know you've uh, been dealing with uh, the on-again, off-again power issues and all of the, the fire yeah. and all of that stuff. So uh, big kudos to you for being able to step in and, and join the show. Uh, we, we appreciate you being able to take some time to do that. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, no, I live in Oakland. Unfortunately, Knockwood, we're far away from the fires, but uh, we're still uh, getting the power outages. Although everything's fine now. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's certainly not fun. Those are you know first world problems we have, but it's still completely unenjoyable. I I've uh, lived through a few hurricanes in my life, mm-hmm. and uh, when you're when when you are without power for an extended amount of time, it it can get uh, very very miserable. Um, yeah. You you do a lot of work in covering American soccer, uh, different layers, different levels of American soccer. Um, right now, we have the U seventeen World Cup taking place um the uh the the u u.s u-17s lost their first match drew against japan nil nil what what have your thoughts been so far what did you see wednesday night uh in that match in the second match uh and, and overall that that picture what are you seeing out of these u-17s yeah, so you know the U seventeen World Cup happens every two years, and then I find it. I think it's a really enjoyable, fascinating tournament. Um, sometimes soccer at the younger ages can be a little more interesting, not as rigid, although it is getting that way. Um, we've been following this. I mean, I probably think my first one that I followed was in um, eighty nine or eighty seven. Um, and you see, you, you see a lot of stars from the that you, you see a lot of players you can see in the future. Um, the U S has disappointed no doubt about it um against senegal the zero zero tie against japan was the result they needed so now they can if they beat holland in the last game on saturday they can go through but um i enjoyed watching in japan play they uh had this nice sort of smooth passing game and uh you know quick stuff when they needed it and then you know the u.s looked nervous um they didn't play with a lot of cohesion and I, I think part of that is to you, you we need to blame the, you know part of that is the blame of the federation because this is a, a group of players who played under four different coaches now you know as as people might be familiar with this is the federation got rid of all, all of its youth national team coaches and its youth director Tab Ramos the only replacement has been Rafael um, Wiki who came over from Switzerland and he coaches this this team and and although he might be a good coach perhaps. Um, you know, he, he he's never taken uh, American. He's never coached American boys. He's never taken American boys through a you know Concacaf event and then a U seventeen World Cup. So I'm wondering if uh, the 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 way they played, the unsatisfactory way they played in the first couple of games, is because um, you know he was unprepared for the unpredictability of this tournament. You know, you got an African team, an Asian team, and a European team, and then you know you got young teenagers traveling to a world championship so i think the third game is the one where we'll we'll draw some conclusions because i do think this is a talented group i mean they've certainly got some talent there they should be they should be uh, entertaining us and, and impressing us more than they have so far 
in terms of the entertainment and in you know impressing us aspect um you know you see japan who played you know a very methodical i guess is probably a word i would use to describe the way that they played there was a there was a method there was a a plan and you could see that they were trying to to execute that plan in, in the way that they tried to play um what are we what are you seeing that we are missing in that yeah. regard. Well, I mean, the, I, they, the, the way they played, though, it wasn't like they were, you know, robotic or anything. They, they certainly had had some flair. But I think what you might be addressing is that, or at least the way I saw it, is they always had someone to pass the ball. And I mean, that, that seems like a very simple thing, but, you know, there's a point in the game where, you know, a U.S. defender who was kind of like holding his arms out, like, where is somebody? So that to me is a tactical issue. You know, um, I think that this team was used to playing with, uh, you know, they played a lot under Dan- Dave Vandenberg, uh, who I think gave him a little more freedom. Um, so you have that part of it. There's something wrong when, when, players aren't open right when you can't when when you when when you're having a hard time finding a teammate and then the worrisome thing was not for all the players but but technically japan was generally better than the u.s and and that so you know you talked about game plan and that kind of thing which is important but you need the technique to pull it off and they would do it's impressive. You, they would have a, you know, a defender would reach a, a Japanese defender would intercept the ball, and you thought he was clearing it, and it would go to a teammate. This happened quite often. It's very interesting, and it's something that I think I've noticed the difference between the highest quality teams and some maybe some of the American teams that aren't quite there yet is. Uh, even with the headers, you know, you win a header and then it goes to a teammate. I think sometimes defensively, um, you know, that ball is a clearance, which you know which means that you're going to give it back to the other team. If you watch, if, if you look at that game, what, a remarkable part of it was that Japan seemed to get the ball back right after an attack broke down. There were just a couple of uh, phases in the game where the, where the U S had the ball and, and sustained an attack. But, um, you know, I thought that was, so I don't know, you know, it's hard to say, I think we'll know more in the third game. There was also one crazy thing was that, uh, Gio Reyna didn't start, didn't come in until the 55th minute. He, he didn't look injured to me by any means. And, He's a. I think he's an exceptional player. So I do not know. You know, that's a weird one. He had a bad game against Senegal, but I think if you have a player like that with that kind of history, you don't bench him. Um, you ex- probably uh, you have a pretty good odds that he's going to come out. You know, hungry and then and, and have a really good game after having a you know an aberration, which is what I thought it was. Do you think uh, part of the issue we're seeing with these U seventeen, uh, and you mentioned you know the the turnover with coaching and all of that, and I get it, but do you think part of it is the environments that they are in on a daily basis in these development academies? Um, you know, part of and in, in the in, uh, but. In, in kind of explaining where I'm going with this, um, I'm reminded of of some of the comments. Uh, being a big Barcelona fan, um, that Xavi uh, in the past has made about English football, uh, and he would talk about the difference in in culture, uh, about what different cultures value and in spain the, there's a value that i would say is very similar to some things you're pointing out with japan and mm-hmm. that you know instead of yeah. clearing balls into the stands and in english soccer yeah. that gets celebrated in spain sure. that gets chided um do you yeah. think that's part of this 
you know, development academy yeah. culture that well, those, those actions get celebrated more than they should when we yeah. really should be trying to find the next guy? So I, I'm going to get back to the culture part, but I'm going to start off by saying that I think a lot of these players on the field for the U.S. are in good environments. Um, and and they, they wouldn't be courted by the pros already or already having been signed by the pros they're all they've all been you know signed by pros if they didn't have if they weren't coming out of good environments i do think the talent is there i'm not sure if it's being coached the right way um the the i did a story recently where i inter, where i talked to the the head scout for the mexican federation it was a, it was a story about how hugo perez is now working for the mexican federation um, scouting Mexican Americans here, and uh, Jorge Teo Hernandez. We were talking about how Mexican Americans can't go to Liga MX anymore until they're 18 because they've applied the uh, transfer of minors rule even to citizens if it's about residency. And he said that's not as big of a problem as it used as it would have in the past. In the past, they would have said, "Okay, we can't get a, a kid when they're 15 or 16, maybe 15, to or 14 to join a Mexican club." Then we don't think that kid is going to develop and be re- be a you know quality player when he's an adult. He said that's changed. He said in many cases, and he mentioned teams like uh, the Galaxy and FC Dallas, um, they trust those academies uh, in the environment they're in. There, there's certainly some flaws still involved, but. Um, you know, you look at FC Dallas, I'm, I'm about to do an interview with Eric Quill, and then they won the USL one championship. They've got kids going back and forth between the first team and the second team. So, um, these, they're, 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 we, we've made a lot of progress on the environment part, the, the environment part, the cultural part, I think is maybe not apply to all these players, but I think it happens at the grassroots. Anybody who's coached in the United States, unless they're coaching a, you know, a group of Latinos, um, they'll notice that when the kids get the ball, they want to take it to the other side as quick as they can or kick it to the other goal as quick as they can. And then you have to create situations in practice where, you know, they, they, they have, they possess the ball, they keep the ball. I think that coaches in Spain or Brazil and Mexico don't have to go through that practice because it's part of the way they play on the playground or in the field is that when they get the ball, you want to keep it, you know, the ball is, um, is revered more. It's part of their culture. So they coaches can skip that simple part of, you know, trying to teach the kids, whoa, whoa, slow down, you know, look around, you know, have, 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 you know, control the ball. So that, that is an issue. I don't know how much of it applies exactly to this team, but it's certainly an issue worth considering in general. When we look at the development Academy, where a lot of these players, pretty much all of these players for the most part are, are coming out of, uh, even if they do find their way eventually to Europe, uh, they are are coming through the development academy at some level for the most part. I would say it's 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 the percentages are really really high now. Um, yeah, except for a couple of foreign based guys, they're all academy players. Yeah, exactly. So in that regard, um, the the development academy has recently made some changes that you covered in terms of look, you know, going into kind of a tiered format. Mm-hmm. Um, in your coverage of that story and, and talking to people, what has been the reaction to the, the Federation's decision to, to go through this tiering of the Development yeah. Academy? So what they did was they, 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 they basically you know, created a promotion relegation situation without, without promotion. Um, and this was a compromise to the MLS clubs, I'm pretty sure of that. When they were talking about breaking away from the DA, which could be a little bit of a bluff because how, you know, they have some challenges in just creating their own league. They don't have enough teams. 
Um, there's, one of the issues with this, what happened there, is the way that the Federation treated the teams that were that were put in the second tier. It was it was brutal. You know, they sent out a schedule three weeks before the season, and uh, these clubs and these directors who have been spending you know a large part of their lives on American soccer, you know, get a note and say, hey, guess what, you're second tier, and that includes clubs like Gotchi and Queens and Nomads and in Southern California that have been around for decades and um you know crossfire premier the academy wouldn't be around if it wasn't for them so there's that issue of how the federation relates to people its membership that's one issue um i think the other issue with the academy is i think they need to re really reassess um whether the federation should be running a development academy um one of my issues is the how restrictive it is now you you can go around and talk to players who made it to the higher level, ask them what they did when they were teenagers. A lot of them will tell you that on Sunday they were playing in an adult league, right? Especially in the Latino community, but all around, you know, and uh, now that would get you, that would get you in trouble if you're a DA kid, you know, they, they suspend kids who play high school. Um, the regulations punish kids who are ambitious and want to play as much as possible. So that's a big, I think that's a problem. And I do think that, um, they're so strict about their licensing. You have to get a B. You have to get a B through the federation to coach even the U14s, which is kind of crazy, right? Um, they even said a C is not good enough. They seem to have a sort of mandating a, a certain system. They're very strict about stuff. And I think anybody who's been around as long as, as, as I have is that whatever they, whatever you hear is the right way to play soccer now is going to be different five years from now. I think we should allow a more regional approach, let clubs, we, we have a lot of amazingly, you know, we have competent people at the grassroots. It's not like 15, 20 years ago. We can give a lot more autonomy to the clubs and, and let them work it out and see what comes out of that, you know, not embrace what we don't, what, what doesn't succeed and embrace what does succeed, but not have, we don't need the, we don't need Chicago telling people what to do in, um, you know, in LA and Miami and in New York, when maybe those three areas should, have different challenges and, and, and different soccer cultures and they should be allowed to do do things the way they want. When I look at the um, the U.S. Soccer Federation, I really think we should change our our total worldview on a lot of things, and I talk about that on the show. But I, I don't know that I've ever gotten uh, gotten in, into this on the show, and I want to bring this up to you. We are a continent sized country, mm -hmm. and you talked you just mentioned about regionalization, right. which I've talked about on the show. In in mm -hmm. each area of the country is different. I really feel like our federation and this is what i've never really um talked about on the show before i really feel like the u.s soccer federation should really be like uefa for the united states and that your states really mm -hmm. operate almost like countries um yeah. underneath underneath the uh, the federation and and for a variety of reasons, one of which is what you just brought up the aspect of these these places all have different challenges. Southern California has different challenges than other parts of the country. New York has different challenges than other parts of the country. That's certainly one aspect of it. But I think another aspect of this is that you also have the different styles, different expressions mm -hmm. of the game. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, the, the immigrant uh, influence of, 
the game of soccer in Southern California, most people would attribute that to you know, a Latino influence, primarily Mexican, but not necessarily only Mexican. Mm -hmm. But that is a big part of that conversation and context. Whereas a place like Chicago, it may be a completely different expression when you're talking about, you know, immigrant populations and, and the influence of soccer. I know that there's a rich Polish tradition in, in Chicago um, that that is part of that that fabric of, of the game there. So I, I think I think that if we were to kind of reframe the way if, you know, if, if, if we're talking about the Federation for a moment, the way we look at the country, instead of trying to homogenize right. the experience and say, everybody's got to have exactly the same cookie, cookie, cookie cutter experience. Um, you know, I think that that would help in, 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 in giving the state some autonomy and how that they, you know, yeah. do some things. But I no, also I think would, travel, yeah. travel's another piece of yes. this that is yeah. just so hard for it. families. It's a waste of resources. It yeah. is. You, you, you know, they, they used to, the Federation used to run uh, similarly, some to do something similar, which, which would they have four regions, east, west, and north, and south, and they would have something called the Olympic festival i believe is what it was called and then so each of the four regions would create a team and they would go and play a round robin tournament and uh, the national team coaches would look at it and and just and, and pick the players for the national team um and get a sense of you know maybe someone's doing something fantastic in this area and maybe someone doing not, something not so fantastic in that area but but bring it all together and see what see what works so um you mentioned travel i mean you could make a nash i think you could win a world cup with a team of southern californians you know the population soccer playing population is bigger than in uruguay and costa rica and it, yeah it's we waste a lot of energy by sending kids i mean i would have i would have five u15 teams i mean are we serious picking the 20 best 14 year old players in the country um so i'm not saying we, we need to go to the extreme of having different national teams but maybe we hold off until the kids are 15 or 16 um, and focus on those regions. So you don't waste so much time, you know, traveling all over the place. There's, there's models for that in other countries where they have, and we do have training centers, but they, but they're basically just for tryouts. Um, you know, there's models around the country where you have, where you have, you know, national team centers all over the country. I think the regionalization is, is would, would address things, um, and and th it, it would address other issues too, like the high school issue, right? Um, one of the main reasons they banned high school play is one is because the federation thinks that whatever they do is fantastic and kids don't need to do anything else. Um, but the other reason was a more practical one is they wanted the development academy to be a national league with a with a year round schedule. But high school is uh, has. think we uh Texas. oh you cut out for just a moment you said at, at high school um you you were having uh your, your phone drop for just a moment you were talking about high school being conflicting with with the da schedule trying to be year round yeah that that, that 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 you know that one of the reasons they banned it but the main reason was they don't they want to just do it they think that they're so perfect and they should kids should only do their their stuff, their soccer, but, but also for the practicality of having a year round schedule because the high school seasons are different all over the country. 
Um, so you, if you regionalize things, then that wouldn't be an issue in an area where the high school saw, if, if a kid is at a high school where the, where the that's a good high school, you know, where it's a decent program, that kid should be able to play high school. You know, I mean, it's not going to ruin a kid to spend two and a half months playing on a high school team. When we look at the development academy, one of the other issues that has come into play recently is the ECNL, kind of this back and forth between the DA and the ECNL. Yeah. What what have you seen in covering that kind of back and forth? It's it started on the girls' side, and it's sad. We have a war. I mean, the biggest turf war I've seen in whatever thirty years I've been involved in soccer and seen a lot of turf wars. The ECNL is a which is. which is under the umbrella of U.S. Club Soccer, is basically a war of the Federation. And this started when the Federation launched a development academy for the girls, you know, after the boys had been around for 10 years. And the ECNL had played that role on the girls' side. Uh, You know, a a league for the the, the top elite elite players, girls' players. So when the Federation came in and created the development academy, now you, now they kind of had to, right? I mean, the, the Federation could not, could not, could, couldn't have kept going with providing something for the boys that they didn't provide for the girls. So they at one point got to like, okay, thank you very much ECNL for doing what we're supposed to be doing for so long, but now you guys beat it, you know, forget you guys. Um, which was a bad idea because they went to war with a group of highly intelligent, well-organized people who have not forgiven the Federation for how they treated them. And the Federation also made a huge mistake by banning college uh, high school soccer for the girls DA from the get go. They didn't do it on the boys. The boys had a few years before they did the high school ban. So the ECNL was able to have a strong weapon to keep its clubs under its umbrella because especially on the girls' side. I think more so on the girls' side than the boys' side. High school soccer is important for them. They did this at a time when Mallory Pugh was, uh, you know, breaking through, who everybody knows played high school soccer. Um, So the best girls' clubs are split between the ECNL and the Development Academy. You have two excellent clubs in the same city who don't play each other because they're in different leagues. I mean, ridiculous, absurd. Um, And the DA doesn't generally let you play other teams that are on the DA and now they're they launched a boys DA and they're competing with the I'm sorry they launched a boys uh, ECNL and they're competing with the DA there's dissatisfied clubs in the DA who are becoming low-hanging fruit for the people over at US club ECNL you know it's it's just a it's a turf war we we're wasting time on it's not good for the kids it shouldn't be happening we should all be you know, we should all be in the same in the same community trying to do the same thing. What's good for the kids? What's good for the game? Instead of fighting over who plays for whom. When we look at that situation, and it's a microcosm of so many self-inflicted wounds that the Federation brings on itself. Um, what is the solution, or what is what are some possible solutions to this back and forth between the ECNL and the DA? Um, I think that I think the Federation should focus on the national teams, uh, focus on the youth national team program, not spread its uh, resources out by running national leagues, you know, trust the clubs, um, 
change, you know, basically say, okay, we're going to get out of the youth soccer business. Um, we're going to expand our national team program. We're going to have, you know, satellite training centers all over the country. Uh, we're going to scout you no matter where you are, you know, because that's the other big complaint is that the ECNL people claim that the uh, federation doesn't scout their players and you know that's debatable well i say it's debatable if you ask the federation they're going to deny that um and i'm sure they wouldn't ignore a kid who's really, really really good but whenever you get a press release from the federation about their youth national teams they brag about how many kids are from the da it's like they're not you know not shy about that that's their priority it is their league um so yeah i think that that needs to be you need to rethink there and uh say oh, you know, if they pull out of that that would i think it would solve a lot of problems um and it's not like 15 years ago where maybe we wouldn't have been so sure whether we could trust the clubs. Uh, I think you can now. I, I think if you go around the country and watch the soccer at the youth level, at least in my opinion, uh, in my experience, we've come very far. The soccer is a lot better and there's more talent. Well, when I, when I look at this country and, and we talked about this a few minutes ago, continent sized country, you know, you take Spain, you have the youth teams of Barcelona. They're not traveling to Madrid every weekend or all over parts of Spain to play. They're playing in, in a regional league setup. Um, do they play in an occasional like national cup type of format or a special tournament? Sure. But they're not traveling all over the place for games. No. And, and, and I, I think it's just crazy. And you bring that up about the ECNL versus the DA versus, uh, quite frankly, that are not in either of those and we're we're passing over all of these different clubs and kids and you're driving three four five hours you know rather than just play some games it's just it's 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 crazy that we think 10 hours in a car is is the best way to go we have national championships for like what 12 year olds 13 year olds you tell that to somebody i'd be like in germany i believe the first one's at 16 um yeah, the travel is a big issue. I, 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 I can't remember exactly who the Frenchman was who explained, uh, who credited one of the reasons for their World Cup win and, and their strong player development on a, a public transportation, a free tra- public transportation pass that the kids get in the Paris area. Um, so they can travel, you know, this is like not american type of travel but they can get from point a to point b lower income kids can it's it's uh, anybody who's familiar with lower income soccer players will know very quickly that transportation is a huge obstacle and then you have the extreme situation where and i've interviewed many players who spent two three hours in the car going to and from practice that's actually quite common um especially we talk to people from southern california i'm a little more familiar with that but i've heard about it in uh, the new york new jersey area um and sasha sarosky i interviewed recently you know he, he he's pointed out that that's one of the another big downsides of the of the da is that that sort of that that that, that requires that kind of travel and so kids don't have the time to do the the informal playing of soccer which he and me and i think a lot of people agree is probably even more important than what they do in the structure game so um you know you don't hang out at practice for a half an hour working on your shots or your corner kicks if you got a two and a half hour drive or even an hour drive you know um so yeah that's travel the the big country issue you you know you you can't blame anybody for that that's a reality you know germany is the size of montana um but 
you can address it and do whatever you can to make it not be as big of a problem as it as it is. Completely agree. It, it's it's never going to be as easy as you know going into a a smaller country like you see in in UEFA. You have all of these countries that are size of American states, and they're able to yeah. run. You know. It, I get it, but we should be trying to reduce those burdens, those hurdles, uh, the travel times, etc., rather than make them worse uh, by saying, no, you can't play X yeah. because they're not in yeah. our league, so you got to drive an extra two hours yeah. to play somebody. That's just and absurd. I, and i give you another example. So, um, I mean, I, I referee games where – I refer. I, sometimes I referee you know, eight nine year olds who drove an hour. Now hours not that far, but for eight nine year old, why? Um, you can have a. Let's say you have the best team in your city. Your 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 thirteen year olds are head and shoulders above the other thirteen year olds. Now play in a U fifteen league. You know, let's say your U nineteens are are terrific and they're not getting competition. We'll play in the local amateur adult league. You can tweak things in a way to address some of these problems. I mean, the travel, you know, and the travel is also part of the, there's two reasons for the travel. One is, um, you know, this concept of having national championships, um, and, 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 you know, migrating to the best club, to the, to the top level clubs. And another one is just, is just industry. It's just money. It's just, um, you know, you've got, you've got got soccer that, you know, ranks every single team based on playing in the tournaments that they, sell their software to or something like that um and and you know you you see all these reports constantly about um a financial impact that a youth soccer tournament makes on a city so if you built a big facility in some in some community that also perhaps uses tax dollars and you have a soccer tournament and a bunch of people come and your hotels are happy and everybody's happy and you think well you know what Let's add the let's add the U11s. Let's add the U10s. Let's add the U9s. We get more people and more parents. Um, you know the, the 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 greed issue, the the, the money issue is, is is a societal problem, and, and that that happens in every other thing you do in America, um, especially with your kids, whether it's college entrance exams or anything else or piano lessons. So I get that that's part of our culture, but it's it's not that hard to say okay we're a big club we're we're going to have an in-house league we're going to mix the kids up we're going to play older kids against younger kids um you know be innovative and and you can address a good amount of the issues I agree. When we look at um, the U.S. youth national team setups, uh, you mentioned this a couple times already about the fact that we we are we are down to one coach on the boys' side uh, of the youth national team setup, and that is the U17s that are playing right now. Uh, what's going on? That's an incredibly <clears throat> big, important question, and I simply do not know. Um, one of the big questions that uh, I'm waiting to hear from is what was it about the youth national team program in the last two years that the Federation thought was unsatisfactory that they had to clean house? Cause I don't see it. I see the U 17s and the U 20s, both getting to the quarterfinals. I see more of the players from the youth national teams getting quartered and going to the pros. Um, it was generally maybe not perfect, but, I think the youth national team program was better than it ever has been. Um, I'm only assuming that the new regime 
decided, uh, you know, when Greg Berhalter came in, when Carlos Cordero became president, that, okay, we're going to do something completely new. Okay, now that's the prerogative that sometimes happens when organizations have a change in leadership, but it's one thing to to, to, to clean house and then not to replace people. So I don't know how that could have happened. Why, why would you even, you know, you know, there were stupid things that happened, like requiring the coaches to move to Chicago, um, which is why, how they lost a lot of very, very qualified coaches and why they can't get very qualified coaches. Um, I mean, that is just completely ridiculous to, in this day and age that a youth national team coach has to live in Chicago to be in the soccer house. Yeah, I've never gotten a good explanation for that. Um, they don't train in Chicago. They're generally traveling all the time looking at, at, at players. So I just, you know, I, I can only hope that they come out soon and say, hey, you know, we apologize. We messed up. Um, we're going to get to act together because a lot of the problems that the U.S. Soccer Federation has the solutions are, are are in front of them. You could spend, you could look at our our youth club system and find all kinds of you know knowledgeable, um, good, intelligent coaches um, that are willing to you know contribute. But instead, we look to Northern Europe, um, and um, it it it's not a situation we should be in, be in this time. We shouldn't need to go to Holland um, to to. To, to learn how to play soccer at this point, especially since I'm not saying, you know, that soccer, of course, is extremely impressive for the size of their country, but uh, the nation of Netherlands is a, a quite a different country than we are. When we look at um, the, the lack of coaches, um, one of the, the things that I find a bit disturbing is the pace of hiring. So when we, yeah. we, we finally get rid of Bruce Arena, who should have been you know fired the night of the Trinidad loss, gets to stay on the job for a few weeks until finally the heat's so high that he, he finally steps down. Um, and they let his number two take the reins, Dave Sarakin, who becomes inter- interim national team manager. But everyone knows that Burhalter is going to have this job. And yet Sarakin takes the job and has it for a year. And then they finally, the worst kept secret uh, in, in U.S. soccer for quite some time, Burhalter gets named a year later uh, to be the head coach. When we look at the youth national teams, we're at the same kind of pace. It's taking forever to to make these hires, uh, at least on the boys' side. Uh, we named the I'm women's GM. Well. well, we named the women's GM, and, and, you know, Jill Ellis steps down, bang, we've got another coach. What 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 is going on at U.S. Soccer House in terms of this pace of hiring? This is, this is bordering on just the absolute absurd. There's no way to run an organization, much no. less a business where you're waiting this long to hire people well there was the infamous glass door commentary from employees um that was confirmed as legit from by the new york times um that it's not a good place not not a fun place to work (laughs) and toxic was the worst word they use it's not just the coaches um they've they've lost administrators who've left um they don't have a ceo um it's not being run the way an organization should be run. The issue with the men's national team, I think, is it's different. Um, that's that's a, uh, a different kind of challenge. With the youth national teams, they had the coaches. They had 
decent coaches there. They had uh, Dave Vandenberg, Tab Ramos, um, Sean Sakaris, uh, Clint Pia, um, you know, Omi Namazi. They had a functioning, successful program, and then they let it fall apart. So, um, yeah, no, you're right. The hiring is, it doesn't make sense. Usually what happens, right? When you lose someone important is, is you spend a lot of time trying to, trying to replace that person. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It's, it's been a head scratcher. We had somebody who, who was having success as a coach, uh, like Hugo Perez, who's it's gone from having him as one of our coaches to now he's, he's working for the enemy in in CONCACAF, the arch rival of us soccer. He's now working for the Mexican Federation as a head scout, um, in, in, in scouting, you know, uh, here in the U S to find, uh, you know, players for the Mexican Federation. Um, what, what, what have you seen in that story with Hugo Perez? Yeah. You know, that in terms of his kind of being out at U S soccer, not having a voice anymore within U.S. soccer to now, you know, working for Mexico and and, and scouting and doing really, quite frankly, something he could have been doing for U.S. soccer all along, even if he was wearing a coaching hat. Yeah, and let me let me go back to something really quick. You mentioned Bruce Arena. He he resigned three days after the the, the loss in Trinidad, and I think that's that's fair because uh, to do it right after the game, I, mean, I don't know if that would have been proper. And, and I do think that Bruce, um, it, it, in the situation, he he was put behind the eight ball by taking over a team that Plinsman had made a mess of. But um, you know, Hugo Perez, by all accounts, is an excellent is an excellent scout. Uh, has, Good. He, he likes a kind of soccer that I think a lot of people enjoy, myself included. Um, I certainly believe that uh, you know, and he he coached uh, successfully with the U15s and sixteens. Uh, if you look at the players he coached, like McKinney and Adams and um, Pulisic, Jonathan Gonzalez. The federation should have found a way to to use Ugo um, if his technical advisor position uh, wasn't working out. And I, I don't know the details there, although I, I do know that he's very well respected in this area. Um, I think someone that has an eye for players like that and the connections, um, they should have been, um, t- should, should have been used by the Federation. Um, the Mexico thing. Um, I'm hoping that there's going to be a silver lining, which is that, uh, <laughs> Ugo and the Mexicans, if they find, talented players that the federation has those players can still end up playing for the u.s um so you know that's actually one of the best things that ever happened was a mexican federation looking for um talent here you know started back with uh you know edgar castillo and jose torres and and proving that uh yeah we are looking overlooking players um and it served as a wake-up call um i think there's been a lot of progress when it comes to find to 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 discovering Latino talent. Uh, certainly if you look at the academies, um, especially the MLS academies in those areas where the large Latino populations and even beyond, uh, you look at the youth national teams, which are generally about 40% Latino from 14s to 20s. Um, I would think that we're making a lot of progress if this wacky thing didn't happen where we don't have youth national team coaches uh, <laughs> come up with a task force 
um, of 60 people who don't who don't have any Latino representation uh, by U.S. soccer, which is, uh, you know, a, a mind-boggling slap in the face um, to the Latino community. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's weird because you, you see progress and you, you, you feel optimistic. And then in the last year and a half, uh, you wonder why, why, why are we squandering, you know, the, the, the steps we've taken in the right direction. When we look at the Federation, there's a lot of issues. It's self-inflicted. We've talked about them trying to run leagues. We've talked about the pace of hiring. We've talked about youth task force that you just brought up. Um, I, I asked uh, Carlos Cordero at the uh, 2019 U.S. Soccer AGM in Phoenix about a Rooney rule. He he claimed that the board has a an internal policy. It's not published that I can find anywhere. It's certainly not in the bylaws or policy manual. Uh, do you think that when it comes to um, our committees, um, our boards, etc., cetera, um, much like uh, what... Uh, um, Hope Solo was able to, um, you know, get a ruling on in terms of the athletes not having fair and equitable representation, according to the Ted Stevens Act on all of their committees. Do you think that U.S. soccer needs to revisit uh, this idea of having a publicly published Rooney rule type of uh, rule based on, you know, what the NFL has in terms of interviewing, hiring candidates and, and making sure that, um, it, you know, minorities are, are being included in that process? Do we need to make that an official stance of the Federation? to start trying to be intentional about closing up these gaps where it just seems like they keep shooting themselves in the foot time after time? Uh, short answer is yes, because you could come up with a pretty significant list of qualified Latino coaches um, who should be candidates for a number of these jobs. And um, I think we should find out whether they were at least considered um you know back to the task force um there there were people who were working with the federation years ago to reach out to the latino community guys like uh, carlos menivar and carlos juarez and uh, juan carlos machia um Roberto Lopez, they were doing um, coaching courses bilingually. They were getting, I think, thousands of coaches from the Latino community to to take Federation courses. Um, and then, what, no one remembered those guys? Uh, you, you know, you call one of those guys, uh, they'll give you a lot of names of people we should consider. And, and, and um, you know, it, there, no, there's, there's something weird going on there. Why, why would you not? It's it only, you know it shouldn't be like you shouldn't even need to remind them of that. I mean the the, the talent that is in our country and the Latino we have the, we have an interesting situation in the United States because if you look at the best teams and in, in club teams in Europe or they're a mix right they tend to be a mix of latin type player european type player and african type player and that's obviously a formula for success in soccer and and that's our yeah, i just described our population to a great extent um caribbean and you know included um so yeah that shouldn't even be an issue that should just be a normal thing where um <laughs> you know one of the issues though i believe is that it's too hard for um coaches to get their licenses it costs a lot of money if you don't have these licenses you're not going to go anywhere because you know you need to learn something from the federation because they know everything about soccer and uh, no one else knows how to teach soccer so 
if it, you're shutting out a lot of coaches who I think what they should do is they should, they should identify coaches who for certain reasons have a lot of potential, um, and go to them and, you know, make it, make it possible for them to get the licenses that they require, you know, the, and I think anybody who, um, is involved in soccer at the grassroots knows some excellent coaches who, who don't have a license, <laughs> right. And maybe some coaches who, who wouldn't do well in those courses, you know, they're quite academic as, and, and, uh, you, you can imagine a coach who would be great on the field, but, uh, maybe not, uh, you know, uh, interpreting and in, and in, in, you know, whatever Dutch theories they're teaching there uh, in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at our our kind of overall worldview um, from the federation, and it seems to you know influence decision after decision. And it's this you know gatekeeper mentality um, where we're going to make it very restrictive in terms of access, in terms of opportunity. You have to shake the right yeah. hand, know the right people rather a, than merit. It's a Northern European thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's what they do in other countries. You have a federation, uh, you know, that's why England has not done anything for a long, long time. And only recently has, has, has advanced, um, because they had an FA that figured, Oh, we invented the sport. We know how to do it. We're not going to pay attention to what anybody else does. And we're going to do it the way that uh, the FA wants it to do. You know, the Germans have been a little, Bit, have been more flexible. They've they've had they've changed. When the team stopped winning, they started looking around, deciding to play more technical, teach more technical soccer, or or allow more technical soccer, appreciate it more. Um, but you do have this system in the European countries where you have. I mean, feder- what other sport has a whether was what other sport in the United States has like a federation where you, where you have to get certain licenses. Um, I'm not saying that all of it's bad by no means. Um, but this rigid approach to it, uh, but that's going to happen too when you when you hire um, Dutch people to to run your your federation um, because that's what they know. That's what they know in their relatively small country, and 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 it works there to a great degree. And they have their ups and downs too. But yeah, you you you. I'll give you one, one example. I've been thinking. So the feder the, the development academy federation when the Fed, De- development academy started, one of the things they wanted to do was is encourage the teams to play, you know, positive soccer. The, the, the things that most of us think are nice is, you know, good is playing on the back and all that. Um, and, but let's say you let the teams do what they want. I do believe most coaches in America want to play good soccer and, and, and because it's also successful, but let's say you got a team that plays crude soccer, route one soccer. And well, the other players need to learn how to cope with that as well. You know, you don't need to make everything um, be the same. And, um, you know, that's why we go back to what we were saying before is, you know, trust, you know, trust your club, trust your coaches and, uh, you know, oversee and help um, and take care of the national teams, um, you know, and fund what you and fund because they make a lot of money. Um on the games that they that they put on, paid for by the fans. Um, so, I do think it needs to be a big big rethink. One of the things we're waiting for is, um, you know, who the new CEO is, and if Carlos Cadero is ever going to um, tell us what's on his mind. Good luck with that. I think the only time you're going to get that uh, answered is at the uh, AGM where where he's pretty much required. It's kind of a standing tradition to talk to the press at some point. Uh, other than that, he seems to be a recluse and uh, doesn't doesn't like to go on record or talk. Well, you, you can say what you want about previous presidents like Sunil Bladi, Bob Kanagulia, but those guys, they love soccer. Their heart wasn't soccer. They were soccer people. 
you know, and that's important. That's a requisite for the job. Uh, you really have to believe in American soccer and want it to succeed. And, um, and you could tell from those guys and I, you know, I'm, I don't see it right now. Well, I, um, I agree. It's, it's, it's been a bit of a head scratcher in these last uh, almost two years since the 2018 presidential election. Uh, and I'm curious to see where we go from here in the uh, vice presidential election and coming up here in just a few months to see, uh, see wh- what and who may run and, and how that vice presidential election uh, shapes up as well. Well, Mike, look, we re- we've gone through a litany of subjects and I really appreciate your time. It was a, it was a great conversation. Um, I, I really enjoy uh, your work at Soccer America. Uh, Paul, a uh, friend of the show, has been on a few times as well. And uh, look forward to having you back on again soon to talk about some more of these different issues um, from uh, fr- from your standpoint and, and, and also from, from a Soccer America standpoint. How can people connect with you um, and, and read more of your work and, and interact with you online? Yeah, go to SoccerAmerica.com, um, click on a story, you can read some of them for free, and uh, you can become a member. And, uh, you know, thank you so much for covering all these issues. I think that's important. Uh, we might not be able to wave a magic wand and solve all these problems, but I think the dialogue is important uh, because it, it makes people think about stuff. And um, and it also reminds us, I think, that so many of people in the soccer community do want an ultimate thing to happen, which is which is success and, and, and soccer you know, for kids to enjoy it, for everybody to enjoy, enjoy soccer. So having these discussions, I think, is is important. I thank you for that. Absolutely. And and we appreci- appreciate you spending time with us going through those issues and uh, look forward to reading more of your, your work here coming up and, and having you back on again soon to talk about more of those different issues uh, as we go forward. So thanks for joining the show. We really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Mike Watola. He is the executive editor of SoccerAmerica.com. Check them out at SoccerAmerica.com. We'll be right back after this. No one. No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. I'd like to thank uh, Mike Waitola for uh, Waitola for joining us on uh, today's show and uh, for him sharing his thoughts, his ideas. Um 
the, the stories he's been covering. Uh, he has really good insight to a lot of different aspects of, of the Federation and American soccer at large. And so big thanks to him for joining the show. Um, hope you uh, have a great weekend. Hope you had a good Halloween last night. We are in November. It's holiday season. So buckle up. Thanks for watching the show as always. You can do that. Do so at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at DanielWorkman.com. Catch me on Twitter or, or Instagram at Daniel Workman. Hope you have a great weekend. See you next week.